Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, normally on Wednesday, our Wednesday show is devoted to looking ahead to the next opponent. But with the Packers just having played on Monday night, there's still a few too many things we need to follow up on from that game because it really is one that has generated a lot of discussion and I want to get to some of the things with the officiating later on. But first, sure. I want to touch on some of the things that Matt LaFleur mentioned in his Tuesday press conference in which he was bringing up some of uh, what you might call the the little-known, the behind-the-scenes types of plays, moments that happened in this game that allowed the Packers to come back not once from 13 points down, right. but then a second time from nine points down in order to win this game. And really, it starts with the very first play of the game with the flea flicker over the top to Kenny Galladay and who's chasing him down to uh, prevent a touchdown from happening but Jair Alexander, one of the fastest guys on the field. Yeah, coming from the other side of the field as uh, Galladay sort of crossed the hash marks, it was a great heads-up play. And it's funny because explosive plays hurt, right? They're called explosive for a reason. I mean, those are, in, remember all the years Dom Capers would talk about it, the percentage chances that you have of giving up points or giving up a touchdown after an explosive play. They just spike as soon as something like that happens. Right. But mentally, the Packers' defense has just been on a different plane this year. So for Alexander to get downfield, trip him up at the 10 or 11-yard line, whatever it was, and then the defense to hold, that was four points right there. Mm-hmm. At the time, everybody's just looking at it and going, oh, right off the bat, you know, the Lions are scoring. It's a huge play. This defense, you know, they're getting gashed like this. And then when you get to the fourth quarter, you never really think back to it, it was a little moment like that that ultimately keeps the Packers in this game. Yeah, I mean, the Packers did catch a break there with the fumbled snap, fumbled exchange on first down that put the Lions a little bit behind the chains on that series. But then second down, third down, the Packers did get the stop and force the field goal. And yeah, bottom line is that's four points where a big 66-yard play, if that's only going to cost you three points, just as we were talking on yesterday's show, when you commit turnovers on offense, but yet those only cost you three points right. the other way as opposed to seven, those are the kinds of things that add up in close ball games. This is not what you wanted to talk about, but I just want to, because it's a good moment for you to mention, Jair Alexander. Yeah. One of the big gripes that I have, uh, and I was guilty of it too when I was at the newspaper, is we, we, we operate week to week. It's a 365-day news cycle. There seemed to be this narrative that crept up in the last couple of weeks that ah, maybe Jair Alexander isn't playing to form. You realize if you just focus on one player and you do a story every week on that player he's going to play well there's going to be not so good weeks and then he's going to play well again alexander has played well more often than not and that's the reason why i believe he's leading the league right now with 10 passes defensed the fact that you know pro football focus said he only gave up one catch which is a debatable uh to jd mckessick for three yards i mean he just played a whale of a ball game and then obviously as you mentioned there even though that wasn't his guy against Galladay stayed with the play showed the effort and, and was able to get that tackle yeah when you look at that flea flicker on film Alexander just turned and went into a dead sprint as soon as Stafford released that ball and threw it deep and that's why he was able to end up catching up with Galladay a similar thing in uh one of your posts in Insider Inbox that uh, you posted this morning where a fan had pointed out, hey, you know, a guy like Elton Jenkins yeah. running down Justin Coleman That's after an the interception at too. the goal line. 
that and and Jenkins didn't make the tackle, right. but that's that's an example of why you always pursue and you never give up on a play because just the more guys you can get anywhere near the ball on a return like that, he has to slow up or he has to try to make a move, and then somebody can eventually get there. So instead of that being a 100-yard interception return for a touchdown, it's a 55-yard return. The Packers' defense holds, and they kick another field goal. Again, potentially four points that are saved by just flat-out hustling awareness and and heady play and let's be honest here i think if you talk to jason simmons and mike Petton, they want to see that kind of energy and enthusiasm and you know just making that extra play from a guy like jair alexander who runs a four three whatever elton jenkins is an offensive lineman a lot of times i'm not saying you preach this you obviously want everybody running to the ball but those guys are usually the ones that get the free pass if they maybe aren't yeah. getting downfield to make that tackle. I just thought that said a lot about Jenkins. I also thought it said a lot about his athleticism. Um, even if he doesn't run like Jair Alexander, being able to get downfield to make a play, uh, he has really impressed me, Mike. You've covered a lot more offensive linemen than I have in Green Bay, but for a first-year player coming in, I was talking to Corey Lindsley about it uh, late last week. He's as impressive as any rookie that they've had on that offensive line. Mm. I mean, and that's a great offensive line where Bakhtiari, Corey Lindsley, they all played as rookies. Elton Jenkins is picking this up as quickly as anybody, and it's one of the reasons why when they lost Lane Taylor, there really hasn't been a hiccup at that spot. Yeah, and and uh, not to take anything away from guys like Bakhtiari and Lindsley who played very, very well as rookies, but those were guys who weren't necessarily going to play as rookies. Right. They were thrust into the role, and they responded, and they've held down those jobs. Elton Jenkins was pressing for a starting right. job from the day that he got here. And, yes, Lane Taylor's injury ended up you know, maybe expediting that process or just made it more seamless in some ways that he's replacing a veteran. But he has uh, rewarded uh, the coach's faith in him right from the get-go. Yeah, totally. And it was funny, too, because – uh, you know, listening to Lindsley talk about it, he said, you know, when you look at the offense that he was coming into with Mike McCarthy in 14, and he said it's just, it's it's not quite day and night, but I mean, with what Jenkins has been able to do picking up LaFleur's scheme, it's the reason why, for as athletic as he is, and as many measurables as there were making it being a second round pick, the really reason, the true reason behind why he's been able to play is just the intelligence there to step in and know what he's doing. Yeah, well, another one of the guys LaFleur mentioned on Tuesday was defensive lineman Dean Lowry and boy did he play he was, a whale of a ball game too huh boy and you look at the, this Packers run defense Lafleur came right out and said it hey it's been a problem for a yeah. few weeks in terms of in terms of stopping the run and yes the Detroit Lions have never really had a very good running game but on Johnson has had his moments in this league and has had his good games, and he could not find anywhere to run. 13 carries for 34 yards. You take that against a number one running yeah. back from an opponent any day of the week, and Dean Lowry was a big part of that. So a couple things of this. One, as you mentioned, the Detroit Lions have not historically been a good running team. But two weeks ago, that game against Kansas City, they were in that because of on Johnson yeah. and how they were able to move the chains and control the tempo of the ball game and not make it a shootout with Patrick Mahomes. He's coming off a 125-yard game, and I know what the yards per catch had been, or yards per rush have been for him this year. Not extraordinary, but when used effectively and consistently in building that momentum, he's been really difficult to stop. The Packers did that in this game. And I think, you know, I talked to Lowry by myself after the game, and you could kind of feel like he said there was some gratification there. They heard what people have been saying. They know they haven't been playing the way they wanted to. And I, you know, not to speak for Lowry, but I think he really did take that a lot on himself to be accountable and to 
you know, step up in that situation. I think the Packers were smarter with how they used their defensive linemen in this game. I didn't see them jet rushing as much. I saw them paying a little bit more attention to the gap and then getting upfield. Yeah, yeah, right. It wasn't as was it wasn't as much upfield attack right at the line of scrimmage. Right. It was more just being sound and fundamental. I thought he. Kenny Clark, and give a lot of credit to Tyler Lancaster and Montrevious Adams, too, for how they sure. rotated in. It was funny, Mike. You go back about six years ago. I remember talking uh, with my old colleagues at the Press Gazette, like, you know, Bay's defense, it's just kind of a thing of the past. I mean, it's getting to be more and more nickel. You, you base your front off of those two interior defensive tackles, and you got your edge rushers, and that's the whole kit and caboodle. And now, the last two seasons especially, you've seen the Packers. I, I would argue, and I don't have the stats in front of me, you've seen the base defense spike in this league the last few seasons. It probably goes hand-in-hand hand with the running back resurgence that we've seen. Yep, We've seen more of it this year. And with those defensive linemen doing their job against the Lions, I think that freed up Blake Martinez, B.J. Goodson, to be able to you know get into those gaps, fit, have the room to make plays, and as you said, I mean, the longest run of the day was Matthew Stafford's 10-yard scramble. Right. You know, whether it was McKissick or, or whether it was um, the other running back. Johnson. That, Johnson, whose name's escaping me now. Yeah. Carry on Johnson. Regardless of who it was, uh, they weren't able to get traction. Yeah, well, if you want to see uh, one snapshot anyway of Dean Lowry against the run, my what you might have missed for this game, which just posted on the website shortly before we came in here to tape this, I take a look at the goal line stand, sort of the goal line stand that wasn't because the Packers ended up giving up the touchdown close call, I know. But the first down play... Uh, which is part of that segment if you want to take a look at it. Dean Lowry, just it's absolutely textbook run defense. He sheds the block and blasts carry on Johnson in the hole. It's at from the three-yard line, and it's no gain. It goes from first and goal in the three to second and goal in the three, and Lowry is the guy that makes the play. So if you want to get a quick look at that, that, just, that I, is on our site. Yeah, I just felt like he played like his tail on fire. I mean, in real time I felt that way, but especially when I went back and looked at it, certainly you broke down the all-22 of it. But when I finally got a chance to go back and watch the TV I mean, he just, Dean Lowry, I, I thought it wasn't his biggest statistical performance. It was only four tackles, right, but I thought right. it was just a really solid all-around outing that he had. Yeah, there's, a reason, there's a reason the Packers gave him a contract extension before this year started. All right, I do want to get to, as we promised on yesterday's show, some of our thoughts about the officiating and how things went down in this game against the Lions. I know you and I are in agreement on this, so we'll definitely start here. With regards to the two hands-to-the-face penalties on Trey Flowers that the entire city of Detroit, most of the state of Michigan, is up in arms over lower how Michigan. this went down. Well, yeah, lower Michigan, certainly. Lower Michigan. <laughs> right. Um, you and I, we discussed this at lunch yesterday. You wrote about it in Insider Inbox. For me, it's the... Uh, fool me once, fool me twice kind of line. I mean, yeah, if Flowers is upset about the calls, well, you got called for it once in the fourth quarter. So the fact that you got called for it again later in the fourth quarter, you can blame the refs all you want on the first one, but then the second one's on you because you were doing the same thing that got you called in the first place. That's how I look at it. He could have avoided the second one, certainly, and uh, and I put it on him. Yeah, um, it's the old Einstein thing, right? I mean, <laughs> I here here's the thing. I... There's a couple different, you know, columns and analysis and that have been written in the preceding days. Some outraged, some, you know, a little bit more towards the middle. And my general takeaway has been, because, you know, this is how I always handle these things. I go and I read all the sources, I take in all the opinions, and then I, you know, proceed from there. 
there's two major things that you have to consider if you're a Packer fan or you're a Lion fan. And this is objective. This is not subjective. This is not opinionated. This is the truth. The Lions didn't finish drives. They didn't. They ended up having to settle for five field goals. When you kick that many field goals and you're playing another team on the road, not a recipe for the success. Yep. If you're going to do that and you're going to leave those points on the board, you have to understand, I'm guessing all these people who are outraged have never played an RNG game before, but you have to understand that there's going to be factors out of your control that are going to dictate the final outcome of the game. It doesn't matter if it's an injury. It doesn't matter if it's a penalty. It doesn't matter if the wind changes direction and the field goals awry. You can't count on every factor to give you a close, narrow victory. The Green Bay Packers know that as well as any team in the NFL yep. right now when you go back to last season. There is randomness to a they lot of this. They should have won the game against the Minnesota Vikings. The randomness and the close-knit nature of that game did not allow them to, and you have to move on. So the big point I'm trying to make you here is the vitriol, and I've seen a lot of it in my mentions, that people have over this thing. Get a grip. Yeah. Move on. Because the fact of the matter is, is that if that game would have been 28 to 7, none of that matters. Right. And getting back to your original point about Flowers, I'm not saying he was wrong. You know, and, and certainly the NFL has had their two cents on it now, and Troy Vincent has spoken his two cents. But the way I see it is, they were the kids in the classroom. They were not the chaperones. They were not the teacher. The teacher told them a certain way that this <laughs> classroom is going to run today, yeah. and Flowers still went against it. I'm not saying it's right, but when you go home to your parents and you have the two pink slips from the day <laughs> and you got to explain to what happened, I mean, maybe your parents pat you on the back and tell you what's going to happen. I know my dad would have been like, why didn't you correct your action the first time? Yeah. That's my point. And I understand, I, I understand the frustration of the Detroit Lions fans when you're talking about all the way back to the Calvin Johnson play that started everything about the catch rule and the playoff game in Dallas with the pass interference that wasn't called and the Monday night game against Seattle when the guy bats the ball out of the end zone and they completely botched that call. And there have been others. I get it. I get the frustration. But the league in some ways, Wes, my next point is that the league in some ways also does this to itself with these points of emphasis sure. that they come up yep. with every year. Hands to the face has been a point of emphasis. So has offensive holding. We've seen David Bakhtiari get called for offensive holding this year more than he has maybe in the last two or three years combined. Is a three-time All-Pro suddenly a penalty-prone liability on the offensive line? No, he's not. Yeah. It's this point of emphasis thing, and Bakhtiari is still trying to adjust to it. And to his credit, he's not standing in front of his locker every week talking to reporters and complaining. Sorry, I had to catch myself yeah. before I said the wrong word. Yeah. Complaining about the fact that he's getting getting calls when these are the types of things that haven't been called in the past. So. The league does this to itself and does this to the players with these points of emphasis, and it's only going to be natural. It's only human nature for officials when they're put on notice yep. with these points of emphasis. That means the league wants to see the calls. So guess what? The players are going to be the victims here, and that's how this thing goes. If the league wants to avoid all of this and all of this officiating controversy, the single point of emphasis, quite frankly, needs to be, if it's not obvious, don't call it because nobody's going to complain, right? right? Nobody's exactly. going to see it on the video. Nobody's... It's, but. The league is not saying the point of emphasis is, if it's not obvious, don't call it. The league is saying, this is a point of emphasis, that's a point of emphasis. So they're judging the officials 
on making these kinds of calls. So this is where we are. Yeah, this is where you have to, where you are and how you have to adapt. It's the same reason why, to, to Matt Patricia's credit, I know there was the complaining a little bit about Will Redmond if there's too much contact downfield. I was totally on board with Patricia not calling it because if you follow the stats, one of the last 24 when teams have been trying yep. to get a PI call off a review have been successful. Yeah. Those odds do not weigh in your favor. It's going to be what yeah. the call on the field is, and he made the right adjustment. I think, honestly, as I also wrote on Insider Inbox on Wednesday, it, Patricia said all the right things. He said we need to play better. We need yep. to finish drives. We need yep. to do those things. He knew this game was in their hands, and they and they they let it, as you said initially, the Lions let this game become subject to all these other all factors. All the RNG, all yeah. that type of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, Matt Prater was their MVP. He had a phenomenal game, but you can't Tremendous keep going game. back to that well that many times. You need to be able to execute. You need to get points off of takeaways. That's why the Packers were able to squeeze their way back in. And to close on this with David Bakhtiari, I think one thing that said a lot about Bakhtiari, too, is after his holding penalty, he was out there. I don't know if you remember that drive. He was out there talking to the ref for yeah. minutes. Yeah. Minutes. Between the end of the field goal or however the play ended and then the opening kickoff. He's trying to figure this out. He's working on him, showing him where he's going with his hands. And he's trying to have that dialogue and discord. That's what you need to be able to understand this. I'm not saying it played into how things went later on. But if he's going to make the corrections, he needs to have the communication. I'm not saying Trey Flowers didn't. But the fact of the matter is, Mike... Whatever you want to say, and you can apologize to Mrs. Ford, you can apologize to every fan that has ever you know, worn a Lions jersey, that's all well and good. The game is the game, the result is the result, and the call is the call. And in that particular case, Trey Flowers ended up getting called for it twice, and the Detroit Lions ended up losing. Yeah. Well, one other thing on the officiating that I want to touch on, I touched on it a little bit yesterday, and what I'm talking about is the fourth and goal play for the Detroit Lions, which of course was a huge call, a huge moment in the game, because that's the difference between seven points and zero points. We talked about a lot of four-point swings in this game, but this was a seven-point swing. And to me, this was a perfect example of how the replay system is not being processed or adjudicated correctly in the sense that we saw on the field the one side judge on the top of the screen was saying Packers ball it was a stop short of the goal line the guy on the Cle- bottom it was Cleet Blakeman too to make sure well Blakeman was next to him next to him yes, was was, was sure. next when they to both him came in, yeah. the, si- the side judge on the lower side of your tv screen was signaling touchdown Blakeman at the top of the screen initially saw the one call and he actually signals first down right, the other way for the Packers which is what the referee is supposed to do then suddenly with no discussion at all amongst the officials on the field Blakeman turns his microphone on and says the call in the field is touchdown. Now, to me, it is absolutely obvious that Blakeman did what he did and said what he said because if he calls it a touchdown, it goes to automatic review, right? right. So then by say, by not saying the Packers got the stop and by saying it's a touchdown, it goes to automatic review and Patricia doesn't have to challenge it from the Lions' side of things. The problem is the replay review rule gives all this weight to the call on the field. So the fact that as the official, you're saying, oh, it's a touchdown, so it'll be automatically reviewed. We get to wash our hands of it because of replay. Well, not really, because that call in the field matters when you go to review. So to me, the point I want to make with all this, excuse me, I'm starting to lose my voice a little bit. No, you're okay. It's been a long week. Is that 
the way the re replay rule is written with the call on the field taking precedence, it's an antiquated notion. It's completely outdated. When replay, I know you were young, when replay came in in the 90s, okay, the rule was written the way it was written because there were only a couple of camera angles. And if a camera angle didn't catch really what happened or there wasn't a good look at it, the call in the field had to matter. Yeah. So you would stick with the call in the field unless the video evidence showed you otherwise. When in this day and age is the video not giving us a better look than what the guy on right. the field sure. has, right? Yep. So if the video, if all these camera angles in the super slow-mo was always going to give us a better look, then call what you see on the video and to heck with the call of the field. Yeah, sure. Just just get rid of just get rid of that part of the yeah. rule. Call what you see on the video. And to me, that fourth and goal call and the way the way it was processed and the way it was adjudicated just showed how messed up this whole thing is. So do the only thing you, you said it perfectly. I can't do any better than any of that, so I'm not gonna try. But the one And I'm thing, sorry that I'm the, losing my no, voice. No, no, it's a okay. Bit, you know, but. we're cool. Everyone's enjoying themselves. Uh the one thing I want to add to this though, the only part of this I took exception to, the only part of it, is that nobody went over and tried to ask the other side judge exactly what he saw. Right, exactly. I don't even there care. was no there was no discussion. There was no huddle. There was yeah. no there was no on field discussion as to okay, how do we want to call this? They just called it a touchdown and sent it to review. I don't even care if you walk up to them and said, hey, did you watch Dancing with the Stars last night? <laughs> I don't care if you walk up and discuss how their kids' third grade math test went. Yeah, the Bull Durham meeting at the mound. I just That's want what the Bull Durham meeting at the mound. <laughs> yeah. Where at yeah. least, okay, we discussed it. Now we'll make the call. Yeah. This game is getting longer and longer with all these reviews. You're going to save 32 seconds by just signaling it a touchdown and throwing a you know, flipping a coin up in the air and being like, well, somebody saw it. He looked, he put his hands up faster. I mean, they look really decisive about that call. I'm yeah. guessing he must have seen yeah. something. Go over, discuss it with your side yeah. judge, then make the ruling. Because I'll be honest with you, and I don't, I, this is one of the plays where I said I did not envy the officials. It was not a clear look. There are a lot of bodies. It's a full, it's a No, dive. it was It was a tough call. There's no it's doubt about it. It's a tough call to make, but to have what appeared to be the better angle where Blakeman was with his side judge as opposed to where the other side judge was to, to just rule it blindly like that uh, just was not good. wasn't good bartending. I just want somebody at the league to acknowledge that this whole call on the field and the, and the weight it's given and the precedence that it's given in the replay process is just a completely antiquated, outdated notion. That's not going to happen. I know it's not going yeah. to happen because they don't want to further undercut the authority they've already taken away from the officials by how much goes to replay to yep. begin with. So it's not going to happen, but in in the Mike Spofford, like, logical, common sense world, yeah. it is completely antiquated. There is no reason that that call on the field should matter when all these video angles are always, not like it was in the 90s, but in 2019, right. they're always going to give you a better look than the guy in the field has in the first place. So to me, it's just completely inane that they they say the call in the field actually matters anymore. I just I, it it doesn't make sense to well, me. Well, Mike, you could shuffle back into that little fantasy land right. and where everything's you All know right. peaches and cream and it's correct time. calls, and we're going to continue to live in the uh, hey, we'll see what happens on Sunday, and 
hopefully uh, everything works out for the best. All world. right. Well, I'm going to go crawl back into my corner with that, <laughs> and we're going to call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com, and you can subscribe to us and like us on iTunes and other podcast services if you're tired of looking at my face. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hot. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>